What if? What if you could see into the future? Say five years. What do you expect or hope that you would see? Now, depending on who you are, depending on what's going on in your life, what stage you're in, this is going to be a very different question. What changes in your family, or in your personal life, or in the work that you do, in your health? Like, you can go with this any direction you want, but if you could see five years into the future, what would you expect or hope to see? Now, what if you take this question and you apply it in a broader sense to our family here, to the church family? And I were to ask you in this moment to take a second and think, if you can imagine the Bridgeway family in five years from now, what would you expect to see? Would you expect to see people's lives transformed? Would you expect to see new people? Would you expect to see developed leaders? Would you accept, would you expect to see baptisms and baby dedications, what would you expect? Would you expect a deeper and richer spiritual life? Would you expect people in your family who don't come to maybe be a part of the family? Would you expect our worship to look and feel different? Or maybe the care that we have within our family as a church to look different? Would you expect to see more people deeper in their study in their pursuit of knowing God, or maybe what your heart is beating for is an outward focus. And you want to see this church start to reach out in meaningful, tangible, larger ways into the broader community and pour into one another. And that's what you're hoping for in five years from now. What if that could start right now? Right now. I was thinking about this after the last message that I spoke. It's a daunting thing to say to all of your friends and family that you have to get up and go follow Jesus. And it's going to cost you everything. It's going to be the largest endeavor of your whole life. And people go home and thinking, ooh, like, Darren can do it. He's good at that Bible stuff. But, like, that's way too big of a task for me. That was great. I'm glad he talked about it for almost an hour. But, like, no, no thank you. It's too big. And someone said to me this week, what if it is just the smallest first step? Like maybe the area that you need to develop in is an area of a life of worship. And you think, I'm not strong in that area. But what if this week you could take one step towards it? Because that's what you desire to see in five years. Or it's care within this family. We keep talking about how we look after one another, but you don't feel connected or cared for or supported. And you think, that's an area where I would like to take a step. What if you could take one step towards that? It might feel daunting, but it has to start somewhere. Or maybe it's the pursuit of God, getting to truly know him in a deep, meaningful way. Or maybe the hardest one or the most daunting one, the outward focus. You might know that's a weakness in your life, that you need to become someone who has that nature cultivated within them, to start to look at other people 
with a desire for them to know the hope that you have within. You think, Darren, I'm not one of those people. Bridgeway has a few of those people. They're the ones. They, they greet people at the doors. They're those people. They go and talk about Jesus. I just don't. What if you could? What if you could? One small step starting now. You see, for each one of us, those steps might look different, but there's a collective unity when they're all done together within this family. Because these are just different elements of what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. And I talked a little bit already about this idea that came to my mind of Jesus being the one who's called us to come with him, to come apprentice with him, to join the journeyman in the task, not just to believe in it. Matthew was called from the tax booth to follow him and journey with him, not to simply give him the thumbs up and acknowledge that he is who he is and just keep doing what he's doing. He said, are you going to come because we're going to go? And he gets up and he follows. So how are we, as a larger family, going to get up and how are we going to follow? Out of those four different elements that I think we can cultivate, today we're going to talk about worship. And what does it mean as a follower of Jesus to worship him? See, depending how you split it, I kind of think about it in four different areas. And I'll show you at the end of the sermon that picture again. I believe there's an element where we express and love God deeply and then express love to one another and then pursue God intentionally and pursue him and other people out there. But you might phrase it as this. That it's being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing as Jesus would do. Right? Drawing close to him, becoming like him, and then replicating and imitating him. And that's where this frame of what does it mean to worship Jesus as a follower struck me. Because we need to want to be with him. What does it mean to worship Jesus as a follower? For some of us, we attach the worship of Jesus to moments of singing. And that's beautiful. Singing praises to God is, is scattered throughout the New Testament. I searched it the one day on my computer and a list of different passages came up. Worship, though, is broader than that. And Rachel is just bang on the money. It encompasses our lives. Why? Because the worship of something is maybe summed up in two very deep words. Adoration and reverence. Now those are huge, but what they mean for me is love and respect. Like if you go to the end of Matthew, you go to verse 20 or chapter 28 to the very end and it's the great commission. The disciples meet with Jesus and he tells them that they're to go into the whole world and go make disciples. It says that they gathered there at that mountain and they worshiped Jesus. And that word, I looked it up, and it talks about being prostrate. It's about kneeling down. They came before Jesus, and they lowered themselves. Why? Because they love him, and they respect him. They adore him, and they revere him. They weren't singing. They were worshiping. Because it's, it's a way of life. 
You can worship him through how you do your work. You can worship him through your hobbies. You can worship him through how you raise your kids. You can worship him if you are, what's the word of the year? If you are intentional. Don't miss that. Because if you're not intentional, you'll go throughout your whole day and you'll just claim that it's all, you're doing it out of love and it's worship, but it's not. If you're not thinking about it, if it's not intentional to you, then it's just your daily life. But I would say when you stop and reflect on it, when you think about that moment with that person, friend or family or coworker, and you have that interaction with them and you treat them with love and respect because God deserves your love and respect. You go, whoa, I worshiped God in that moment. And you can start to think through examples in your mind of encounters in the morning or afternoon or evening where you've made a choice to worship God. In the Bible, and today, as we get into some of these verses, you are going to see that the pattern of worshiping God is in community. There's something about following the practices of Jesus and showing him love and respect that even the earliest Christians in the book of Acts knew they weren't supposed to do on their own. And that, friends, I think is something that's worth talking about. Why? Because my generation, the young whippersnappers, love to do everything on their own. They're individuals who love being individuals. And they don't have that same deep respect that other generations have for doing things together as a group. My generation often seems nervous to have people in their homes. They think they can handle it. They think they can develop it. Why do I need this organized group of people when I can sing and pray, reflect on scripture, and do this in my own house? I don't need this. This is messy. This is complicated. It's so much easier without all of this. Well, friends, why then does that not line up with the practices that we see in scripture, in community? If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, whether it's you brought your paper Bible or you have your phone, we're going to read some verses from Acts chapter 2. And these verses are going to highlight the earliest Christians after Jesus, his death and resurrection. What did their life of worship look like? And what might be surprising to you is as we read through some of these verses from Acts chapter 2, you might find that the pattern in which we express worship, in many ways mirrors how they were expressing worship to God 2,000 years ago. What we're going to do is we're going to read through these verses from verse 42 down to 47. And then after we read through them, we're going to talk about some of the aspects of worship that I see scattered in this story. So if you have those verses with you, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'm reading out of my ESV Bible, if you're wondering about which translation. Let's read together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, if you are new to this story, that's okay. Acts chapter 2 is a mountaintop. It's a pinnacle moment in this section of the Bible. And why? It's because Jesus has just, just in the last few weeks, died on the cross, been resurrected, taught his disciples, his followers, and then ascended up to heaven. And Peter, at Pentecost, so this is a large Jewish holiday, they all have these people that come home back to Jerusalem. It's like Christmas. Everyone comes back home. So the city all of a sudden fills up hundreds of thousands of people. And Peter, this disciple, this follower of Jesus, all of a sudden supernaturally can speak in languages that he doesn't know. Languages from different countries as all these different foreigners are now in the city. And he says, believe, repent, turn of your ways. Trust in Jesus. We killed him on the cross, but he's been resurrected to brand new life. Repent of your sin. And he preaches this sermon. It says that three thousand people became believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus that day. They baptized them. That's amazing. Can you imagine the logistics of planning that next church service, though? Say there's 100, 200 people in this room right now. Can you imagine if next week we had 500 people? That would change things, wouldn't it? We have to make a little more coffee or get more greeters at the door. Who knows? We have to put out extra chairs in the front row. We'd have to do something. All of a sudden, they go from a few dozen of them, maybe 120 it talks about, who are followers of Jesus, which is different than being part of the crowd. These are intentional followers, to thousands. So the question I ask as I read this story is, what does their worship look like? Do they gather to sing? What do they do? Well, let's go back a slide. Let's look at verse 42. We'll start there and go through some of these verses. And let's look at what their lives of showing deep love and respect, adoration and reverence for Jesus looks like. Verse 42 is a bit of an introductory statement, it seems like, because it sums up a few different things. It talks about their devotion to the apostles' teaching. So that's the disciples, and this teaching would have been a variety of things. It would have been Old Testament scripture aligning with the words of Jesus. It would have been the telling of his parables. It may have even been the exclaiming of his miracles and his signs and his wonders. All of this being put together and taught to these new believers because they now believe and trust in Jesus— But they didn't walk with him for three years. They need to know who he is and how to walk with him. They devote themselves to this teaching. Friends, do you understand that? When we devote ourselves to God's word through the teaching of it, with deep love and deep respect for him, when we humble ourselves, lower ourselves, this idea of bowing, prostrate, when we lower ourselves before God's word to learn from it, that's an act of worship. And we still practice that today, don't we? We worship God by devoting ourselves to this teaching. It continues by saying that they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
That word fellowship is interesting. That's ekklesia, and that's a Greek word, which means the association or the family. That word gets me fired up because that's my catchphrase. You know that. Each person has that word that when they're nervous, it just like pops into every sentence. I think mine is family. So that, my friends, like that's, ooh, grab onto that. The fellowship. They devoted themselves to one another. I grew up in a small church. We all knew each other. If you ever needed something, I don't know, if it snowed five feet during the worship service, like there was going to be a dozen people who drive you home and keep you in their house overnight. We were just a family. We weren't acquaintances. There wasn't small talk in the foyer. So how has your week been? It's just like, how are the kids doing? I know what you talked about last week. Are they, are they doing better? Like, it's just like, I don't know, deep. How can I pray for you? I was praying for you last week and I was praying about this thing specifically. How can I pray again this week for you? Just like, but they were a family. It says here that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers as a family. Now, the breaking of bread would have meant two different things, most likely. The Jewish meals, the daily meals that they would have been sharing with each other, and also the act of communion, the remembering Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, his broken body and his sacrificed blood. So special moments of communion and then just the daily practice of sharing the table with one another. And similar with the prayers. We believe as we read verses like this that the prayers would have been the Jewish practice of having prayers every single day. So most likely they did the Jewish prayers together. But then we're going to have evidence two chapters later that they had intercessions. They had moments where they gathered as a family and prayed for one another. Like, you're going to see it. They, Peter, they come, they ask for boldness. And the whole church says, let's pray. And they all gather together and they pray. You see how we still do that today? That blueprint for our worship? That, friends, is worshipful when we're intentional to show God adoration and reverence. It keeps getting better. We're just getting started. Verse 43 says that something came upon every soul. The word in the ESV is awe. Awe came upon every soul. Your Bible might say fear. It might say something else. Why? Because the apostles were sharing all these signs and wonders. It was being done through them. Could you imagine someone in the church has a supernatural encounter with the divine and they share that story or you get to witness it And then at the end of that experience, your reaction is, wow, awesome, fear, I respect you. Like your attitude towards God would change. And I believe that you still see evidence of this in the church today. Now it might look a little different because the supernatural signs that they saw were vivid. And ours is often smaller and quieter than this. Though I've talked to other people who've seen and experienced incredible supernatural things. You ever seen someone share their testimony? You ever seen someone come up in front of the church and just say, there were these moments in my life when God undeniably showed up and did something powerful. And the whole church goes, wow, that's awesome. What an amazing wonder that God did in their life. And it helps deepen our faith and our trust in God. For some of us, we need to hear stories of how an elder in our church has experienced giving his worship. Because for some of us, maybe it's never felt like anything. 
just a, a rule that's been passed down from generation to generation that makes no sense. And then you hear someone talk about how it's now an expression of their love for God, and you go, wow, that's amazing. I still believe that you see elements of this in our worship even today. Praise God. Verse 44, I think, introduces verse 45, but look at 44. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. I pray for this to take place in our church family. Not just for the sake of harmony. Read that verse again. All who believed were together and had all things in common. This was thousands of people at this moment, and some of them would travel back home, and the number would come back down to a smaller group. They had all things in common. They weren't people that once a week shared a service together for a few minutes and had one or two things in common. Their whole lives began to merge with one another into some sort of family that didn't exist before this. All of a sudden, you're going to see evidence of it in the verses that follow and in a couple chapters that follow. They're going to start selling their fields to take care of one another. They're going to start sacrificing their lives for one another. Thinking of Stephen, who's going to come in chapter 7 of Acts. You don't sacrifice your life for an acquaintance. You don't sell your possessions for an acquaintance. They had all things in common. There was this unity, this thread that tied them all together. I pray that our church family would feel that thread that ties each one of us together, where we would start to have this level of commonness with each person in this room, where we start to pray for them and treat them and love them like they're our own family. Verse 45 says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That, friends, is incredible. And that's incredible because this doesn't tell us it's under compulsion. It doesn't tell us that this was some rule that one of the disciples stood up one day at a church service and said, you must give so much or you're a bad follower of Jesus. We don't see that. People saw a need in their family and rose to the occasion. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Where you see a need in someone else's life and you think, I should help. I can do something. And you rise up to the occasion, make a sacrifice, and you're there for them. Like, God is transforming their hearts to the point where the things that they worship and love are not themselves and it's not their possessions. They are actually becoming outward-focused people where the love of God is greater than the love of self. And that, my friends, is worship. That's why I think that giving in church is worshipful when it's out of deep love and respect, reverence and adoration for God. These are just all elements of worship. Verse 46, I should warn you before we read this one, it's going to bug you. This one might really bug you because this one gets vulnerable. When you read verse 46, it says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Their worship of God left the building. For how many of us is that the most uncomfortable thing the pastor could say? That our worship of God leaves this place. 
Theirs seem to go two different directions that I noticed in that verse. Day by day, they tended the temple together. So they were out in the community, even though at this point, people, thank you Saul, who later becomes Paul, is hunting down Christians. They are active in their faith in the midst of their city. Their worship breaks out of the locked room. Remember, Acts chapter 2 starts with them hiding in a locked room. Their worship is out in the midst of their city. How many for us, it's comfortable to be a Jesus follower in this room, but as soon as we leave this building, I don't want people to know I'm a Jesus follower. Or I try to make sure it naturally doesn't come up in conversation because that would be awkward. Like how many of us need to take our worship and take it out into the marketplace? For some of us, the opposite might be the struggle. What did it say? They broke bread in their homes. Now the pastor's going to get in trouble. Because I'm digging into your life now. What if you need to take your worship out of this room and you need to bring it home? But that requires your personal life. That requires people getting in your space. It's one thing to be a Jesus follower here on Sunday for an hour and a half. But what if it needs to transform your family and your daily life? What would look different for you if you were to start worshiping Jesus through how you use your dinner table? How you use that, that comfortable space at home that you don't really want the rest of the world to get into? They did. They brought people right in. You see, worship was never meant to be contained to a room for an hour and a half. And finally, verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praising God. They were exclaiming to God audibly how much they love and respect him. And we still do that. We just did that. We sang. What you should, though, pay close attention to is what are you singing about and who are you singing to? Because the worship of God, we just talked about it, is love and respect for him. It's adoration and it's reverence. So they should be songs that are stirring your heart and your mind to proclaim the reasons why you respect and fear God and express how emotionally you love God. If the songs are not about that, are those songs of worship? It's something to think about. They had favor with all the people. What would that look like for you and me to have favor with all the people? You might say, Darren, that doesn't apply anymore. People out there hate Christians. The world doesn't. Our, our government doesn't like Christians. They just want us to go away. They'd rather we just all disappear. They think the world would be a better place without us. Darren, it's not the same as those days back in the Bible. Here's a spoiler for you. If you haven't read the rest of the story... It was way worse for them. Way worse for them. And yet somehow, their worship of God, they gained favor with everybody. Do your neighbors and coworkers, do the people in your circle, in your community, do you have their favor? Are you the kind of person that they love and respect and look up to and appreciate? Do my neighbors... Look at me and my family with favor? 
Or do they just put up with me? It's just, it's an interesting thing to think about. And how does God give that favor? Finally, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The Lord added to their number. Not a flashy advertising campaign. Not about synchronizing the theme, color of the website with our brochure. Not about having so many, you know, billboards around the city with our name on it. The Lord added to their number every day. Something was going on supernaturally for the Lord was drawing people into this family. How do followers of Jesus worship him today? You might be thinking to yourself, you saw in that blueprint how we do it. And I saw it too. Through our dedication and devotion to teaching, through gathering as a family, through breaking bread with one another, whether in large meals or in communion, whether it's our devotion to praying with each other and for each other, we worship God through the sharing of testimonies. We worship God through baptisms. We worship God through sacrificial giving. We worship God through singing. That blueprint started with these hundreds of people in this upper room in Acts chapter 2. And all these different elements of worship still exist today. But what happens when the worship of Jesus gets confined to just a worship service? Followers of Jesus are more than Sunday morning worshipers. We need to be. And friends, this is where I feel like the cheap grace that we need to eliminate sneaks into our diet. Because the pastor or someone tells you, just believe in Jesus. Pray the prayer and then go home and do whatever you like. The rest of your life will be fine and easy and you won't have to sacrifice anything. Just believe in him, amen. And people put up their hand and they come forward and they say, I want that. Do I need to come to church? Well, if you want sometimes, but not really. I can just be a Christian and do nothing? Yep, it's all free. Come here, come get some Jesus. And we just give it to people. And if, if they become a Sunday morning worshiper, fantastic. But what if followers of Jesus were supposed to be so much more than that? What if this was supposed to affect your family and your role in the marketplace? What if this was supposed to affect your dinner table, your giving, your finances, your wallet? What if this was supposed to trickle out of Sunday morning and affect every aspect of your life? And what happens if we accidentally cultivate that mistake in our family where we teach people and set the example for people that it's okay to come and participate in this, but once this whole thing ends, you can do whatever you want the rest of the week. That was not the example given in Scripture. Their love and devotion for God was expressed all throughout their daily lives. I think myself especially, I need to reflect on this Because I can't be the hypocrite who stands up here and tells you that you need to find ways to worship God tomorrow and the next day and the next day and then I forget about it as soon as I leave. I can't do that. How are we going to cultivate lives of worship? So is it wrong to have a worship service? Is what we're doing here actually not beneficial? I don't think that's the case at all. I think for the brand new Christian, having a worship service is a beautiful way for people to come to an understanding of who God is. Because we're supposed to be expressing why we love him and why we respect him. 
So people who do come should see sacrificial giving, times of prayer, devotion to teaching, the singing of praise, the sharing of testimonies. They should experience these, and it should deepen their understanding of who God is. So the worship service is valuable to them as someone who's new to the faith. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for 30 or 40 or 50 years, is there anything for you in the worship service? Why do you need this? Darren just told us we can worship at home. Sweetheart, we're staying home next week. I believe that in the worship service, we do our best to bring all these different elements of worship together, to celebrate them together, to do it in community the way that they did in the days of the scriptures. This is health maintaining. This is clarifying. This should be inspiring for us, for those of us who are lifelong Christians. This isn't the... This isn't the culmination, necessarily, of all of our worship summed up in an hour. This is just the shot of energy that starts our week. And then the worship just goes on from here. But it's not limited to here. I want to show you, before we go home, just about done, the four different elements of being a Jesus follower that I've been thinking about. This love of God and love of others, and then the pursuit of God and the pursuit of others. The idea of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing what Jesus did. Do you see how those start to line up? Being with Jesus, experiencing this love for him and for his body, for his family. And then learning to be like Jesus. This pursuit of God that can be done in these different and various ways. But it's intentional. It costs you something. You chase after it. And then after you chase after it, then outward focus. Do what Jesus did. Go out into the community and now imitate him. See how it moves? As you grow deeper, this relationship changes and it forms. But all of it requires us following. Not just consuming, following. As we go home, I thought a beautiful verse for us to reflect on would be Jeremiah 31, 33. This was in the days before Jesus. They were just about to go into exile. For generations, they had stopped worshiping God correctly. The love and respect for God dried up, and God was going to hold them accountable and punish them. And Jeremiah spoke the words of God to the people, And this was a depressing time to be a follower of Jesus, or a follower of God. This is the Old Testament, right? They were just about to lose everything they ever had, as if God had given up on the promise to give them the promised land. And Jeremiah speaks these words for God to the people. What does it say? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God. They'll be my people. I'm going to write the Torah on them. Because my people have abandoned the Torah. They've abandoned the teachings. They've abandoned it. But one day, it's going to be imprinted on them. Friends, the reason why I think about this verse is a life of worship. It's not 10 minutes of singing. A life of worship is a life lived out of the law of God being imprinted on our hearts. 
I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit that this verse is coming true in our midst. That when someone meets a follower of Jesus from Bridgeway, they should say, you're different than those other Jesus followers I've met. You don't just believe in the guy. But it's like you live for him. It's like your way of life is his way of life. Like it's a part of you now. That's it. That's it, friends. Whether you're 10 years old, 50 or 100 years old, that's it. The worship of God is now an expression of the imprint that the law has left on your heart. This, friends, this, friends, is worship. The next couple weeks, we're going to talk about those other elements. Being with God through being with his family, pursuing God to be like him, and then living for him with an outward focus. And I hope that by the end of this, we are good apprentices of the journeyman. And when the freezing cold wind comes again, we know how to unthaw our own water lines so we don't have to bug our friend across town to come help us do it because we actually paid attention and we learned. I hope that we can live this out in our daily lives. Five years from now, we start off the service with this. Where are we going to be in five years? Well, I'll tell you where I'm going to be in five years. Part of this family. And I don't know exactly what five years from now is going to look like, but I'm excited for it. And I think it's going to look even better than it looks now. I believe that with my whole heart. And I am going to try to find small ways in my life to start taking steps now towards that church family I want to be a part of. And I hope you do too. I just want to pray over you and pray over the teaching that we've just had. And then after that, you're dismissed to go. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a lot. Following you costs us everything. Costs me everything. Costs us everything. And I pray that this morning's words would build us up. That they would make us stronger and unite us together. Hmm. I pray, Father, that worship become the state of our hearts and our lives. For me and my family, for my boys as they get older, that they would learn how to live a life of worship that other people in our church family would develop that same heart. Lord Jesus, print your law on our hearts. Make us one with you and with each other. May our lives reflect you beautifully. Would we shine a light for you in this city when other people encounter us, when they encounter someone who's been imprinted by the Spirit of God. Lord Jesus, give us the confidence and boldness to start taking steps today to become that kind of family that we want to be one day. And Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and show us the way? Would you show us what you desire and help us to walk in it? This is my prayer for us as a family. We love you, God, and I love the people in this family. Be with us as we go from this place. Help us to apply the things that we've learned. Help us to love you and spend time with you in adoration and reverence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. Mm-hmm.